Hello, welcome to the From Way Downtown podcast. I am Indy Star Pacers editor Nat Newell here, of course, with Pacers insider Dustin Dopirak. Uh, it's been a crazy start for the Pacers uh, this season, uh, so we're going to dive right into that. Let's. Uh, they beat Milwaukee without Dame Lillard, but still beat Milwaukee with uh, Giannis scoring 54. Then come back and beat uh, Philadelphia, a uh, fully mostly. Uh, healthy Philadelphia team to take charge in the in-season tournament in their pod. Where is Where do you think this team is in terms of wh- where do we start with expectations and then where are they now in terms of what we've seen uh, through 10, 11 games, whatever it's been? I mean, I think they're a little bit ahead of ahead of schedule, ahead of, uh, ahead of expectations. I mean, again, I would have said, and I did say that I considered them a fringe playoff team, that I think they should – get in and be a postseason team. Um, I presume that was going to be more play-in round, that they were going to be uh, a 7 and 8 seed. I, I thought they could get to uh, a best-of-seven series. I, I thought that was kind of reasonable expectations for this group to say that they would enter in the play-in round, uh, you know, needing to win a game, but maybe only needing to win one game, you know, not being in a position where you're the 9 or the 10, uh, and you've got to win that 9-10 game, and then you've got to beat uh, somebody that's supposed, you know, that, that ordinarily in, in – in, Previous format would have had a playoff series and then have to beat them. Um, yeah, I, I think they they are they strike me as a little bit ahead of schedule again. I mean, they've obviously beat two teams that you would have expected to be among the top in the East, uh, and and the Sixers are better um, without James Harden so far. Um, they they look like a lot more exciting team to me with Tyrese Maxey having the keys. Uh, as opposed to playing, you know, just the slow down, um, you know, ISO all day style that you get with James, Hard- that you can get with James Harden. Obviously, he could, he he's done a lot of good stuff in the pick and roll with Embiid, so he's not just that. Um, but you know, this the uh, you know one on one style that Harden plays. I mean, I think they're they're faster, they're slicker, um, they're a good looking team. Obviously, Kelly Oubre being out uh, after getting hit by a car, um, and fortunately that not being uh, worse than it could have been. But you know, having even with him being out, I mean, they're they're still a really impressive offensive group. And for the Pacers to adjust from game to game and say, hey, you know, we did this this stuff wrong. This is how they beat us. Um, if we make these tweaks and we, and we care more on the on the glass and make sure we're not giving up second chance points, uh, we have a chance to beat these guys. And being able to flip that around in the in the course of you know 48 hours and and you know win and 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 you know uh, not comfortably but but comfortably enough. Um, you know, I think tells you a lot about this. That they're again capable. They're not going to go in and blitz all of the elite teams in the East, um, but they can hang in those games. Um, you know, they've got uh, what, they've got two wins over Cleveland already, right? Am I or, or am I missing one? They, they've uh, beaten Cleveland I twice. Second one. Right? Did they, they lose they, the second they, one? Yeah, I thought they should have won the second one and lost it, but they won the um, they, they won the first Chicago. one. In the, well, and it's, yeah, no, they beat I mean, Cleveland. They beat Cle- They have beat Cleveland twice. Yeah, I'm, okay, I'm remembering correctly. They they lost yeah. to Chicago. They weren't supposed to lose to the Austin Hornets. They weren't supposed to lose to. They lost to a Boston team that's obviously tremendous. Um, but you know, I, I think more or less, if if you were to say, all right, here's where you're going to be after uh, 11 games. You're going to be seven and four. Um, you know, you're going to be you know at the top of the Central because you have the tiebreaker at the moment with Milwaukee having beaten them straight up. Um, you know, you're going to have a win over Philadelphia, and you know, um, I, I I would say you know that's ahead ahead of pace for where you think you're going to be. Um, you know, I, I I think they're again a little bit ahead of it. I think being in the top six seems a lot more realistic now. You know, again, there's a long way to go. You know, they they have not gone very far. They haven't, uh, you know, 
you know, if there's going to be a major injury somewhere in there or a significant injury where somebody misses time, you don't know how much that's going to shake things up. But I would say they're ahead, they're ahead of pace uh, right now, and I, and I the the idea of them being a top six seed and getting to go straight into a best of seven seems a lot more uh, plausible to me than it did when the season started. Yeah, I mean, obviously we should. It's eleven games. It's still early. The East in their group is, you know, uh, you know, there's a bunch of good teams in that, in, you know, in that middle group there, where the difference between being the third or fourth best team and the being the seventh or eighth best team is not huge. So, um, but I think the most important thing that I've seen, like they beat Milwaukee, which was a huge win. But they're the kind of team scoring as much as they do and the style that they play where there's kind of a, hey, they can beat anybody on any night uh, approach. But to then, mm-hmm. and you just touched on this, but to come back after getting, I mean, again, they were competitive with the Sixers in the first game. They were leading uh, in the fourth quarter. But it never felt like they were the better team. So to come mm-hmm. back and, they, you know, they gave up, you know, 900 points to two players. Um, it's hard yeah. to take that, them too seriously. So to come back and beat the Sixers as convincingly, really, as they had gotten beaten the game before, I mean, you just touched on this, but to me that seems like a, the, you know, Milwaukee, beating Milwaukee is one thing, but this, is a, this was another step. They've really taken two steps, in my view, in a short period of time in terms of what they can be because of what the adjustments they made and that they mm-hmm. showed what they were willing to do. I mean, I guess sort of touch more on that aspect of this team after the second mm-hmm. Sixers win. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think, you know, one thing that you can wrap, wrap all that together in, too, is that when things go wrong, there, there is that much trust in their offense that they, they don't get, with the exception of the Boston game when, when that clearly happened, um, they, they don't get knocked off the rails. Um, and, and it's not like if, if something's going wrong, they're like, oh, we're screwed. You know, we're, we're, th- this is just not going to work today. Maxie's got 50. We can't touch him. Embiid's got 37. We, we can't hang with this guy. Oh, shoot. Embiid's coming at us again. And, you know, like in game two, you know, Miles Turner picks up two fouls in the first couple minutes. And then Jalen Smith picks up a couple fouls in a couple minutes. And then he gets popped in the mouth and has to go to the hospital. And you've got to play I- Isaiah Jackson for 17 minutes. And Daniel Tyson isn't even here. And you've got to play, uh, you know, bring Aaron Neesmith off the bench and have him go guard a guy who's like six inches taller than he is um, and weighs 65 more pounds or whatever uh, in Joel Embiid. And it's just beating people up all day. And it's just, well, all right, we can hang in there and do this because at any point in time, Tyrese can just go off and we can get running and we can, we can go all, we can, we can hang 40 points a quarter um, and, and have a chance to come right back. And I think that's, that's a big piece to it is there, there's, there is such a belief in the potency of the offense that, um, you know, like you can say, on, on one hand, it, it makes you a little bit um, too comfortable on defense and that they're willing to give stuff up. But there's also a belief that, all right, if someone's going off on you, that doesn't mean anything's over. You don't start, you know, hanging your head or whatever or, or start feeling like, man, this thing, you know, we, we, what are we even doing here? Um, they don't have those types of games because, I mean, if they're down 20, they believe that they can be right back there uh, in a minute. And all you have to do is get a couple stops. And so they're able to move past it and have short memories when it comes to getting beat and getting scored on because, you know, they believe, okay, well, if we just get three or four stops in a row, um, you know, if, if we just buck up for, for this stretch here, we can be right back in it because all it takes is a couple threes on our end and we can get that. Um, so I, I think that, that increases their capacity again. I mean, their defensive numbers are atrocious. Let's, let's not sugarcoat this. Like, 
you know, like that's got to be pointed out before we go any further. Like we're we're not talking about just, you know, just kind of bad on defense. But like, I mean, they gave up 126 in the game they won. (laughs) <laughs> like in in the two games that they that, that you know in both of them uh, or no I'm, I'm sorry no they they in, in the game they won over Philly they gave up 126 points in the game they they won over Boston they gave up 124 that's a lot of points that's a whole lot of points if you give up that on average you're dead last in the league you know you're dead last in the league that's that's the worst you know if if you're giving up 125 a night you're the worst defense in the NBA. Uh, but they beat two of the best teams in the East, giving up 126 and 124. Like, that's crazy. You gave up 250 points in two nights, and you won those games. That's wild. So it's like, they're, again, their view is they just have to play well enough defensively. They just have to play well enough that they're not giving up 140, and they have a shot. Like, that's their belief, is that they can get 130 any night. You know, I mean, that's... Like, it, yeah, that is a wild uh, statement to make. I mean, obviously they have to get better on defense defensively to really contend. But 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 if we're if that's where we're at, then they're like you said, they're probably two steps ahead of where I expected them to be um, mm-hmm. this year. Uh, let's talk real quick. We, I want to get to the we talked about uh, we want to talk about the personnel uh, decisions that they've made with Daniel Tice being at the top, but there's some other interesting aspects of that. But let's let's hit on Halliburton real quick. Uh, his his numbers from the last uh, couple games are just unbelievable. Mm. Uh, it seems like he's. I mean, I don't know if he's taken a step forward, but it seems like there's a much bigger. I mean, the, you, the piece you wrote, the Athletic wrote about this uh, just recently as well too. Uh, just the the national recognition, at least of of serious NBA fans, seem to be picking up on what Tyrese Halliburton is as an NBA player. No, absolutely. No, we got to give specific credit. My man, it wasn't the athletic; it was the ringer. It was uh, the ringer. Rob I'm Mahoney. Sorry, you're right. You're Rob right. Mahoney was in, so we should be giving you know direct credit to you know <laughs> picking the right national outlet. In that yeah. case, but yeah, no, I mean, so and and, and yeah, like, read the uh, ringer, not the athletic. That's what does. <laughs> Read the athletic too. I don't know. Read us is the most important piece. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not hating on my uh, my ex colleagues at the athletic, but but it was I we did get to see Rob Mahoney a lot, and he put in a good week, um, you know, hanging out and whatnot. And you know, we saw him at, at uh, a couple games and and practices and stuff. So got to, we got to talk to him and, and get to know him a little bit. And I thought he did uh, really good work on that piece. But yeah, I think um, it, it it well. It was cool on my end to see that he touched on a lot of the same themes that I did as far as when it came to writing about Halliburton and the unselfishness and the, and the giving nature and the root of that and how that creates an entire, uh, you know, playing style that the, the Pacers kind of build around. The, the idea of Tyrese as, you know, just extremely unselfish, wants to move, wants to play, wants to have fun uh, and, and play a fun style of basketball is a concept that you could build your whole franchise around. Um, and so that's the idea thing that he talked about, and you really just saw what that looks like uh, in these last couple games. I mean, just just the shots. I mean, like you know, again, he just he's involving everybody, and and it it, it is a scenario too where you're seeing it be a different person uh, from night to night. Um, you know, you like Obi Toppin has 27. Um, I, I think obviously there can be some like concerns and hand hand wringing from a fan perspective. You're like, okay, well, you know, Matherin just had this great night a couple nights ago, and 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 then he kind of disappears for a couple games, but 
part of that is a, a little bit by design. I mean, not entirely. You know, you, they, they really want Ben to get better, and they're, you know, I, there's obviously concerning questions to ask about the fact that he only played 16 minutes the other night, um, and you know what they didn't like about his, or what they might not have liked about his defense and whatnot. But the idea that okay, some nights you know Obi's going to get six, some nights Obi's going to get 27, some nights Matherin's going to get uh, eight, and some nights he's going to have get 25, 26. Uh, you know, that's a product of you know. Um, Halliburton finding the open man, and and the guy that's cutting to the rim and is open and, and is is out front on transition is the guy that's going to get the ball. And it's not about judging somebody and deciding who's going to be who's better or whatever. Um, it's just saying who has the best chance on this play to score. Um, you know, in terms of where everybody is and, and who got open and who beat their guy. Um, and, and again, that just comes from Halliburton saying, I'm going to find the open man. I'm, I'm going to involve everybody and I'm going to give us the best chance to score and put the guy's ball in the guy's hands who has the best chance to score at this opportunity. And again, it, it, when everybody is seeing that they get rewarded for what they do, um, then it improves morale drastically. It improves chemistry, everything. And everybody feels empowered. And so, uh, and, and that's the st- style he's playing. Um, and also on top of that, he's scoring at a remarkable level. You know, I mean, he's involving everybody, and, and they're helping him out by making shots. Um, so the assist numbers are really high, and that's a big part of it. You know, he owes Toppin for finishing a lot of those. Obi was just a terrific finisher, but Halliburton's just doing a great job of finishing himself. I mean, just on on the bounce. I mean, he it, he's such an interesting dribble gu- drive guy. I, mean, I think they the. Uh, Pacers did kind of a Twitter thing on who has the best move, and it's just like he's got that thing where he brings the ball up all the way to his head, and it's just kind of a step through. Like he's fast with the ball, but like it's not like Maxi, who's just this, you know, just just getting downhill with so much speed. Like Halliburton has kind of like got these ball fakes and head fakes and bringing it up and like just getting everybody off balance in a different kind of way, and then getting these clear looks at the rim. Uh, and he's just so effective doing that, going in the basket. And when you couple that with when he's lights out from three, like he was. Uh, on um, you know on Tuesday, that's just it. it he's just um, you know so difficult to defend. I, I hate to say impossible because I mean like there are so many players that are operating at such a high level right now uh, in this league that I mean there's 20 more guys you could say they're having a better season than he is, and he's having a phenomenal season. Um, but when he's when he's ripping it from three, he's just a phenomenal player. It's amazing to me that you talk about. And how what a great passer he is! How what a great connector he is! I mean, everyone has been talking about that, and yet he's still scoring twenty five a game. I cannot yeah. remember a player scoring at the level he does, but you know, having that reputation of being and not just reputation, the reality is he does get everyone involved. It's just been amazing to watch um, mm-hmm. his development. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he he is just so good at knowing the right play to make, and and it's fun to watch too because you can talk this out with him. Like, I'm not, I, I, I'm not, you know, uh, like, I, I didn't play at any kind of level, so there are certainly people who are better at X's and O's who could have an even more enjoyable conversation, but you just, w- w- even just when he's doing interviews with just with your basic media guy, like his, like how you see him just sort of process what's going, what, what he's going through, what's working, what's not working, um, you know, what they tried to do, what didn't work. I mean, like, he is just a, like and you could see him advance in terms of how he's getting it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, you know, from game to game, week to week. Like this, the growth is so fast because the intellect is just so high. 
I mean, he, his his basketball IQ. I mean, his IQ in general. He's just he's a smart human being. Um, but he's from a basketball sense, his basketball IQ is just so through the roof. Um, and so that that allows you know just capacity. He could see, okay, where did I make a mistake here? Where can I get better here? What what can I do better there? Um, it's incredible. And and and, and all the while getting better skill wise like he is as good as he already was i mean the ball is just going in more you know like he's just he is making more shots he's creating more space for himself you know doing you know has better footwork so that those shots are all makeable he like for as much hitch time as he's got for as much operation time as it requires for him to make that shot because of what all is in it uh he's always got space you know i mean one because he can shoot from deep you know, like, I mean, he's got range out to 30, 33, 35, um, probably even 40. Um, but, you know, like, he, like the setbacks are such that he somehow never gets called for travel back there, but he can go five, six feet in and then jump five, six feet back. And, you know, someone's not recovering quick enough. I mean, he's just doing a phenomenal job of, of getting his own shot, being able to go in and go back and still be in, you know, be balanced enough to put up a good shot at the rim. I mean, like there's just so many little things that he's doing well right now, and it's just coming coming together in phenomenal basketball. I mean, at some point he's going to have to have an off night, but you know, right now he, he's just just terrific. Uh, let's get on to the uh, sort of the personnel stuff. We'll start with Daniel Tice. Uh, I thought it was somewhat interesting that you know they say he's out for personal reasons. They then worked out a buyout with him so that he could apparently go to the Clippers by all the reports. Uh, but that was the night they needed him because, as you mentioned, sure. there yeah. were all kinds of foul trouble uh, with mm-hmm. Embiid, and then uh, Jalen Smith got hurt. But, I mean, to me, if you're the fourth guy in the rotation, you know, if you're fourth on the depth chart and you're a veteran like him, I, I think the team kind of has – I mean, I'm not a huge fan of this kind of stuff, but at that point, if he's the third guy, it's different. If you're the fourth guy, you got the team kind of got an obligation to let him go somewhere else if that's what he wants. It does. Yeah. Um, and I and then the big question here is, and there's no way to know this answer. Did the team blow it by? And blow it is a, you know this is not a huge blow it, but you know at some point could they have traded him for a second round pick? Um, right. Did someone ever offer that? And if they did and they didn't take it, then they made a mistake. Again, losing not getting a second round pick is not the you know the, a fireable offense. But it seems sure. like they should have been able to find something to get yeah. something back for him. Um, but I just sort of take us through the, the Tice uh, timeline with the Pacers because it was an odd one. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I obviously, you know, he they, they get him um, in July with Neesmith uh, in the Brogdon deal. I mean, I, I know that there were some other bodies that they got and obviously had to and eventually had to cut in part so that they could pursue DeAndre Ayton, and that didn't work out, so they just had to kind of lost some bodies there. Um, but, you know, ultimately they get two functional pieces out of that in Tice and in Neesmith. Um, and, you know, the Tice is dealing with knee pain all summer, and then he has, you know, I think he had to leave the country to get, like, very specific knee surgery, and then he's out from November all the way until February, and by February, they had a sense of who they were, and, and, and just the, um, progress they were making and, and what their timeline was, uh, you know, basically, and, and that believing, okay, Miles Turner is your center, uh, right around that time is the time that they extended him rather than trade him, so you're in a position now where you're not, moving Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson up to be the starting center and, and saying, okay, you're going to roll with kids uh, in the starting lineup going forward. is okay, you've got to establish five guy. You've got two young guys who can be your backups. Um, 
And so you don't really have this need for this veteran anymore. And it, it seemed like when they brought him in in February, uh, you know, all, he gets immediate minutes. But it seemed like even from the beginning, uh, it was showcase stuff. It was, I'm, yeah. we're going to play yeah. this guy so, so that you, everybody's reminded Daniel Tice can play. And we'd like to be able to move him. And, you know, he can be a very valuable backup five for your contending team. Throw us anything. Um, and we'll be happy to have it. And we'll, ha we'll be happy to take it. And you'll be happier because you'll have this, you know, big, you know, wide-body dude who can box out and, and um, uh, you know, bust, like, you know, can rebound, can pass, can shoot, uh, you know, all of these things. Like he's, he's got all the skills that you want. He's been on a contender, um, you know, been on a, a team that reached the finals. This guy works, and he's you know he's healthy enough he can play for you. Um, and then after seven games, basically, and, and, and rotating in where he was playing sometimes and not, um, you know, they decided okay, like we're not going to cost Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson any more development time. So Daniel's basically shut down. There might be an opportunity for him to play again, but we're going to focus on this. And they told him that, and he wasn't happy about it. Um, and then so off season happens. Don't know what they could or could not have gotten for him. Don't know. I mean, presumably they tried. I mean, I can't imagine that they didn't go in to the summer with hopes to be able to move him to somebody who could use him. Uh, but then he goes out and helps Germany win the the FIBA World Cup. So he's more valuable, but they're also like, hey, well, I mean, you, you should at least give him a crack at it. Um, and, uh, you know, Jalen Smith uh, instead blew everybody's doors off as shooting 70% from the floor and like 65% from three on low attempts. Um, so you, you can't play him over Jalen when Jalen's 24 or 23, 20, I think he's, he's still 20, 23, 24. I can't remember which. Um, but you know, Daniel Tice is 31. Like there's just no logical basis to play Daniel Tice, uh, ahead of Jalen Smith. And there's not a lot of, you know, if, if someone's going to be the third guy, well, Isaiah Jackson is the young guy with a lot of potential, you know, for as much as, you know, he might be a little bit slow to realizing it. He's a super athlete. He's still like 21 years old. Um, so it, it does never made a lot of sense for them to play him. Um, and, but he's still a, a, a totally functional player. And you would think that they could have just got somebody to throw him a couple picks, but it didn't work out. And the Clippers, um, the Clippers were not in a position, you know, because they're, I think they're way, way over the cap. I mean, I, I mean, I think they're, I'm pretty certain they're in second apron territory. I'm going to have to call spot rack up while I'm, uh, um, doing this, but I think, you know, they're in a position where they, if they were going to make a trade, like they had to be able to match salary. They had to be able to throw somebody else, uh, at, uh, the Pacers who was basically exactly nine million. Um, and they don't, I don't think they have anybody who's exactly nine million and anybody that they are, that, that they could move is basically way too good. Um, you know, I'm looking at, looking at the, the you know, Clippers, you know, salary cap guys, like, you know, Terrence Mann makes 10.5. Like you, you can't, you know, like if you're the Clippers, you cannot not possibly justify, you know, giving the pace to Terrence Mann. Like he's way too good. Um, you know, Avika Zubak is their starting center at 10.9. Like you, you can't trade, you know, Zubak, uh, and the, and the pace, you don't, you don't need another center if you're the pace to start with. Um, but if you're the Clippers, you absolutely can't trade your starting center for your backup center. You can't do that. Uh, PJ Tucker at 11 million. I mean, I guess that's the closest. Uh, to making sense, when you talk about a veteran, you know, great defender who matters in a playoff series. I mean, like, again, like, it's just hard to justify um, if you're the Clippers giving that up. And then you, you go further down the list. I mean, the, the guy who's hurt is Mason Plumley. He's only $5 million, So that's not enough. Um, you know, you're only paying Russell Westbrook 3.8, you know, Amir Coffey 3.6, Kobe Brown 2.4, Bones Highland 2.3. You can't make any of that work on a one-off deal. And if you trade two guys, uh, you know, the Pacers don't have the uh, roster space to take them on. Um, you know, again, like Bowens, Bowens Highland is 
too good of a player who would be stuck in a point guard scenario when you already have, you know, Nemhard and, and McConnell coming off of the bench at that position. So you're taking any point guards, you got an issue there. Um, the Pacers could use some wings. I mean, Amir Coffee wouldn't be a bad guy uh, to add, but that's only $3.6 million. You've got to find another $6 million to make the trade work. So Because, again, there's pretty tight restrictions on these second and apron teams in terms of the deals they're allowed to make. Um, so the Clippers were not in a position where they could really make a lot work. Um, yeah, I mean, they're at, their active cap is $196 million. They're 76 over the, over the cap. Uh, I think you know there's we're well over the second apron there, um, so they're not position they, they can make anything work. And to your point, there is some responsibility when you've got a veteran on there and you've kept him around and barely played him over two years. This is a guy that deserves the opportunity to make money playing basketball, and he shouldn't be in a position where he is you know stuck not playing at all. Um, you know, it's it's kind of the right thing to do if you want to be considered a franchise where people want to come play, and that's the, what the Pacers are trying to sell anyway. You know, with Halliburton and whatnot. Um, you got to do right by veterans in this kind of circumstance, so it makes sort of sense they ultimately cut bait. Um, but it, you know, definitely next opportunity. You know, the, the question for Kevin Pritchard or Chad Buchanan or anybody on, uh, you know, basically in the front office is, you know, what weren't you getting? What were you getting? You know, what what led to you just having to cut bait here? Uh, and and just you know buy him out and let him move on. It, it it makes sense at the end of the day to do it, but you wonder if there was an opportunity to get something that they could have used down the road. And uh, of course, on uh, Twitter, the talk of who you would sign to replace him was all. All I saw was Lance Stevenson. Um, of course, now, yeah. The, that actually happened. They brought Landon Stevenson back when everyone, when no one expected it uh, once recently. So you never say never. I cannot imagine them bringing Lance Stevenson back, but I would have told you that the last time. So what do I know? Sure. Uh, yeah. But you had a more realistic possibility for them to add. Uh, just talk about what you think they could do with the open roster spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a possibility that they could, uh, you know, just bring you know Oscar Shibway up, you know, on on a two, on on his two way, you know, that that's what the two ways for is, so they can come up for for a little while. And you know, I mean, I think they're they're in a strange position. I, I won't I won't rule Lance out. I, I won't rule Lance out at all <laughs> if he's sitting around and they're like, I mean, you know, it, it's it, this. I I cannot say that this team can't use perimeter defense. You know, certainly can't say that. So if he is in shape and he feels like he wants to go be a pest to somebody, uh, you know, for in limited minutes, uh, you know, I, I, if I'm the Pacers, I don't say no uh, to that. Um, you know, again, provided he's in shape. I mean, I haven't seen him. I have no idea what kind of condition he's in. I don't know how he's living. You know, he might be just totally pieced out. But if he is feel like, yeah, I want to go do that, you know, I, I wouldn't say no. But I, I don't think they'll do that because, again, they've got – you know, uh, two-way guys they like on the roster with, you know, Kendall Brown as a wing guy. But I think, you know, uh, Oscar Shibway makes sense. If you if you feel like you want, you know, just a little bit more center depth, especially if Jalen Smith is going to have to miss a couple games. Um, you know, I, I don't you know don't know that yet. Obviously going to go into practice today and find out just more about his status and where where his, where, you know, where his head is at literally. Um you know, if they feel like they need another five, you know, you can just promote Oscar Sheway, um for a little while, you know, and, and have him up with the big team uh, for a couple of weeks. I mean, he's putting in absolutely incre- insane, um, you know, crazy rebounding numbers, which he did in college. But you had to expect, uh, basically, at the G League level, that he was just going to um, just put up monster rebound numbers and scoring. And, and like you shouldn't expect that to translate. The numbers in G League are nuts. I mean, you, you, you know, guys like Travell and Queen, who barely got on the floor uh, for the Pacers last year when he got called up, 
Uh, I mean, he was averaging like I don't know twenty five a game in the G League. You know, it, 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 it's not that the quality of play is good. There's a lot of talented guys, but everybody's out to get theirs for reasons. You know, everybody's you know it's experimentation. You're not trying to be super disciplined and, and win games. Like everybody's out there trying to get their buckets and trying to you know prove that they can uh, you know put the ball in the hole, get stats, take threes, etc. So. You know, like, you shouldn't expect that he's going to walk in the door and get 23 rebounds, but I think everybody sees him as a legit, really good rebounder. I mean, Isaiah Jackson was saying in the offseason he was looking for, um, you know, advice from Oscar Shibway in terms of how to be a better rebounder and how to be in place. Um, you know, because, again, his his rebounding numbers are nuts, and they were nuts in college. I mean, he led the country in rebounding back-to-back years. Uh, you know, that requires not just the size and physicality that he's got, he's got plenty of that, but a nose for the ball, you know, in, in the Rodman sense of knowing, okay, where do you position yourself? How do you read shots to know where they're going to come off? Um, and Shibwe is very, very good at that. And so there's there's enough value with that. I mean, he, you know, he doesn't have elite athleticism or speed, um, and that's an issue on the pick and roll, and I think you certainly saw that in summer league play. Um, but, you know, he's got a wide body. He can defend certain guys that way he can rebound and so I think there's some value to having him uh, as a depth guy on the roster that you can bring out there if you know again if Jalen Smith is missing some time Isaiah Jackson is very very prone to foul trouble um, and so you can certainly find yourself needing a third center there and I think Sheway makes a lot of sense. Uh, we've talked uh, coming into the season about sort of the Pacers having quote-unquote too many um, good players uh, and how you deal with that in the rotation. Um, I mean, I, it's been interesting to me to watch Rick Carlisle settle on Jalen Smith, who's been unbelievable, clearly has made the right choice in terms of who should be the backup center. Um, Naismith, Aaron Naismith was somebody who I don't think any of us really thought was going to play a bunch this year, but he's been a, a key part of the rotation. Um, you know, you mentioned him uh, guarding uh, MB the other night. I mean, you can't just, you can't talk more than that about anything more than that. Um, the position that still is up in the air, though, has been, or the player really, is McConnell, T.J. McConnell. Um, you know, you know, Carlisle talks about an almost tear-filled meeting with him, telling him he's not going to play, and that lasted like one game until he got back in there. He played again against Philadelphia when it seemed like they needed a, a lift. You mentioned Matherin not getting a lot of minutes. Obviously, it's affected Nebhard's minutes. Uh, I mean, what what's the answer? I mean, I don't answer is the wrong word, but. But what, how do they deal with McConnell and Nemhard and everybody else when they've got, you know, Heald's another one whose playing time and performance has been up and down. But where where do you think they're at with McConnell, you know, now and going forward? Yeah, I think what um, what, what I thought was, I mean, so much of that was interesting. And, and I think it, it was just the, the only the only part that strikes me still as odd is that he felt the need to come tell us. Uh, and and the, 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 the meeting was so emotional. I mean, I think if I, I think this arrangement is not that much of a surprise, like what is actually happening. Um, probably if, if you said, OK, you know, what do you what, what makes sense to you in terms of what they should do here, presuming that they're not going to trade him immediately? Um, I would have said something like this. I would have said that, that Nemhard is a priority from a development standpoint because he is young and they really believe in his capacity, uh, to be a, you know, to, to not just to be a really good distributor, a really good defender, a good shooter. You know, he's, he's like 6'4 
and strong, and he's got you know, physical capacity that, that that's a little bit beyond McConnell. But on the flip side of that, McConnell's a veteran. He's coming off his best offensive season. You know, he knows how to get to his shot remarkably. You know, again, his little six foot jumper or, or his reverses or whatever. Like he's got so much capacity to just get a foot in the paint and make a play. As a scorer, he distributes well. He, 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 you know, as a pest as a defender, he's getting, you know, backcourt steals. This guy's too valuable to just keep on the bench entirely. But, you know, Nemhard will be a priority, so he'll get more minutes. But there, it will sort of be a scenario when you figure out when you need TJ and, and when you need TJ, you play him. Like, a, it, it kind of makes sense that way. And if, if that means the, the lineups are a little different, you're playing small sometimes. You know, um, you know, you, you can live with that. There are times when that's going to make sense. There are times when he will make sense. There will be times when he don't. Um, and I, th- I, it was just odd to me that, that this required like kind of an emotional conversation to say so. But it seemed like he could have just said like, all right, like we obviously Nemhard's a franchise priority, but we know we're going to need T.J. McConnell. We're, we're going to need T.J. McConnell plenty. Just because he didn't play in this first game doesn't mean he's not going to play. Doesn't mean there's not going to be games that we don't really need him. Um, you know, even more than the rest of the guys that are kind of the third unit now. Uh, it's going to make more sense to get T.J. in on, on certain scenarios, and and especially when it's just a case of you need a spark. When it's not a matchup issue that's the reason you're losing, but your guys just aren't basically aren't playing hard enough, aren't playing with enough presence, you know, they're just getting beat up, we'll bring TJ in, and, and that's going to lift that. Um, so that was odd, but I, mean, I think what they're doing with TJ now makes sense. You know, ultimately, it's basically, you know, like, if Andrew's having a rough game, McConnell comes in. If the team as a group is having just a rough game defensively, McConnell comes in. If it's just, you just need a little bit more on-ball perimeter defense to start guys, stop guys from driving, to slow them down, McConnell comes in. There's just... It, it, it's it, it's very clear that there is a lot of things that you can use T.J. McConnell for, and Carlisle has come to that you know conclusion that okay you know like you know there will be nights where I don't have to play him, but there's enough nights that I do that you know he's practically a rotation guy even if he isn't the second unit point guard every single night you know he's there enough. Um, but you get past that, and it's and it's interesting. I mean, I, I thought I did think Aaron Neesmith was going to play. I figured he was going to be your second unit three man. That's kind of what I figured that that it was going to be. Um, you know, once they kind of figured out, you know, when they came out with the second unit, and it was you know Nemhard, Heald, Neesmith, Jalen Smith, and a starter. It you know th- that made sense to me because Neesmith can defend so well um, because he can shoot it well enough. You know, I knew, you know, uh, Rick was a huge, huge uh, Neesmith fan. I knew he wasn't falling behind Ben Shepard. You know, I, I, I could have told you that for sure. I'm surprised he's getting as many minutes as the four as he's getting. Certainly didn't think he was going to have to play the five uh, and guard Joel Embiid. Um, you know, I, I thought they would go bigger. Like my, my initial thought for what the second unit would be would be Nemhard or McConnell at the one, Hield at the two, Neesmith at the three, Walker at the four. Um, and, uh, you know, Smith or Jackson or whoever else the five. Um, so I, I am surprised that they have decided they're willing to play smaller in the second unit, uh, you know, rather than, you know, for, you know e- even four-speed Walker at the four. I'm, I am surprised at that. I, I did think Nemhard McConnell was going to be a weird deal, but, you know, this, this, this thing doesn't surprise me, but I am a little bit surprised that they are, um, I don't want to use the word holding back yet, um, but... It's an issue. I mean, it's it's something worth noting, the fact that your, you know, number eight overall pick, who, you know, practically was the number seven pick, um, you know, this is one of your highest draft picks in the last 30 years, um, is 
barely getting any minutes. He's he's only playing when you're either winning by a bunch or losing by a bunch. And you know, it's 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 interesting. Like they have a really good third unit. You know, like you like the third unit with McConnell, Shepard, um, Nora, Walker, and Jackson is a group that could be a second unit. You know, like it's 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 a talented group of players. Um, and these guys aren't getting any minutes. And, and I and I'm not surprised that. You would say, okay, well, Walker's definitely behind Neesmith at the floor, for sure. No, I, 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 I'm not surprised about that. Um, but it does make me wonder where there's a point of you've got to get this guy some minutes. It doesn't mean you throw away your playoff plan um, to get him on the floor, but you've invested a lot in this guy, and you need him to develop. Um, so I am wondering, you know, whether there's going to be a, 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 a point, you know, somewhere where it's like, just get him on the floor for a couple minutes, you know, even if he's only playing five a game, just – Make sure he's getting five a game somehow, some way. Um, you know, I, I am a little bit surprised they're not doing that. So I, I do want to ask a little bit more about a Rick of like, okay, now you're 11 and you've only played your, you know, your lottery pick 20 total minutes. You know, is, is there a chance of, is, you know, he's not the second unit forward. I get it, but don't, don't you have to get him something, you know, just for the purpose of developing an important asset? See, I think it's just going to be a red shirt season for Walker just from a standpoint of I don't don't I mean you can only play so many guys <laughs> and yeah, and sure. the one that's and it's it's weird because in a lot of ways you know he is what they need in terms of being a sort of mm. more of a defensive presence although but still with off it's not like he's just a, he's a zero offensively um you know the shooting right. we got to figure out we don't we don't know where he's at shooting wise um but I also think, I mean, I, I just wonder, are they going to end up in the same spot with McConnell that they did with uh, with Tice, where you almost feel like you have to, to to move him to do the right thing, yet he's still so good. And but and, you know, and then the other side of this is, is anyone going to give you anything for TJ McConnell because? He's TJ McConnell, yet you look at what he does on the floor, and he's really good. So yeah. somebody's, you know, a contending team is nuts that they have not tried to acquire McConnell. And I think it's to the point where you should probably give up. You know, it depends on the team and the situation and a hundred mm-hmm. other things. But giving up a first-round pick for, for a, a late first-round pick for TJ McConnell is right. not nuts to me. I mean, I, that yeah. seems like you, you get your value out of him, out of that trade, if you're a contender. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the 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 tough part about it is, honestly, is there's just so much talent in the league that I don't know that you look down um, at these contending teams and you say, like, you know, T.J. McConnell, like, if, if you put T.J. McConnell in for their backup point card, they'd be fine. But they also have a backup point card. You know, I, I think that's the other piece, too, is that there uh, there is so much depth in this league. There are so many good players that there aren't. I don't, you know, again, I'd have to look at everybody's roster, but I don't know that there's a glaring hole. I mean, like, I mean, like off the top of my head, um, you look at the Celtics. Okay, well, they they don't need a backup point guard. They're fine. They've got Derek White starting, who who can run the point. They've got Peyton Pritchard coming off. He's fine. You know, you don't you don't have a problem there if you're Boston. I mean, if you're, um, I'm thinking of, I mean, trying to think of who all Denver's. I mean, I think Reggie Jackson in Denver. You know, like you're fine. Um, you know, so it's just I, I think just a lot of uh, a, a lot of teams look at CJ McCollum and say, man. That's a really good player, man. That's that, that's wild that they've got three great point guards like that. I mean, it's wild that TJ's really cool. That's really great that he's successful. But I don't need him. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I'm fine. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, I, I'm like, well, who did Philly play as their backup point guard the other night behind Maxi? You know, I, I think, um, and I don't think he, he, TJ wouldn't go back to Philly. Uh, <laughs> but all, all the same, you know, it's just there's um, – 
you know, Patrick Beverly, you know, like the base, the, the Sixers are bringing Patrick Beverly off the bench as their backup point guard. I mean, like you're, you, you certainly don't think you need, uh, you're, you're good if, if Pat Bev is your backup point guard. Um, you know, the Bucks, I mean, who are we looking, looking at for the Bucks? They've got options, you know, camp, campaign, um, you know, is your backup point guard, whether, you know, uh, that's an improvement on TJ McConnell. I, I might not have said it was, but you know, he, he's your backup starter. You got Pat Connaughton that can kind of run the point, you know, Andre Jackson that can run the point, you know, they've got options. So you look at a lot of these teams and they have that. I think the the the, the counter argument to what you're saying is kind of him being Tice is you're going to get a lot more work out of your third point guard than your fourth center. Uh, you know, is, is what I would say. Now, if Tice is now t- like if he was going to be the third center if Jalen Smith is out for a while, if one of those guys were injured for a while, and then you know, like you're going to get plenty of work out of your third center. Um, but you know, being being third on the depth chart versus fourth is a pretty significant difference, and so I think that's a big piece here. If 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 someone else were running the point, if they were getting Bruce Brown point guard minutes uh, ahead of McConnell, um, then you would have a scenario where you have to move him. But I think they've found already um, that there's enough there's there's enough time for him. I mean, you're looking at you know, let me look at his stats right here at this point. Um, Eleven games in. Um, you know, he's played in seven. He's averaging 13.8 in the games he's playing. Um, so that's not nothing. You know, that's not nothing. I mean, if you're McConnell, you certainly want more. You're used to somewhere more in the 20s. Um, but you're getting time. You, you don't feel like it doesn't make any sense for you to show up at the, at the arena, you know, where I think Daniel Tice was probably getting to that point of, like, why am I even here? You know, yeah, that, I, McConnell is not there. That's all fair. The one team that would make a lot of sense for McConnell is the one he's been tied to, which is the Suns. They just don't have they don't have anything to trade for him at this point because they've given it all away. But uh, right. uh, yeah, it'll just be really interesting to see how that all plays out. But um, you've got to get to practice. Um, there's plenty more to talk about the the Pacers, but uh, um, you'll have everybody uh, listening. will have to get to IndyStar.com and read about it. Um, so uh, we appreciate you doing that, and uh, come back. Uh, probably will not do a podcast during Thanksgiving week, but we'll be back uh, the week after that. So thanks for listening.